How are you out there this morning? Amen. Get our Bibles open to Mark chapter 5. Somebody's phone's playing a concert. Pull the band back up, they can accompany that. We've been working our way through the miracles of Jesus. This is uh, part three of the miracle where Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. And uh, we're going to be in Mark 5. This miracle starts in verse 21, and then the woman with the issue of blood interrupts this miracle. As Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, he encounters the woman with the issue of blood, and uh, he takes care of her, and there's a little moment there where they have uh, a connection, and Jesus notes it, and she's healed. Then he goes on to heal Jairus' daughter. We're learning a lot of great principles in here. I'm going to read the entire miracle starting in verse 21 of chapter 5. I'll skip the woman with the issue of blood, and then I'll finish up, and God willing, we'll finish up part 3 today. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the miracles of Jesus that by the Holy Spirit we can experience through the Scripture. Uh, Holy Spirit, allow these truths to come leaping out of the text today and touch us in our hearts so that we can apply the truth to our daily living Father, we're thankful that you still do miracles and you still um, address our needs in crisis and you love us. So, Father, we, we look to this text here this morning to encourage our faith and encourage our commitment to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mark 5, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went with him and a large crowd was following him and pressed in on him. Verse 25 through 34, Jesus deals with the woman with the issue of blood. She's got no more issues. She's healed. Verse 35 picks up again with Jairus. While he was still speaking, they came from the house, the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Verse 37, our new material. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kuam which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given to her to eat. So there's the miracle from start to finish. 
we looked into the fact that Jarius approaches Jesus and he breaks rank. Why? Because he was with that religious crowd that opposed Jesus. You know, in the crunch time when he's in crisis, he doesn't go to the religious crowd. He falls at Jesus' feet, worships him, and professes faith. He says, look, if you come and you lay hands on my little girl, she's going to be well. That's faith, amen. We also notice that the closer Jesus got to the miracle, realize he's en route. Every step he's getting closer to this little girl. The kingdom of darkness knows they're about to lose their grip on the situation. So what happens? There's resistance that comes against Jesus and Jarius' faith with every step that they move closer towards this little girl. We noted that the resistance came in layers. The first layer of the resistance was this. Jarius, the miracle you need is impossible. Why? Because your daughter is dead. You see, many people have the faith to believe God can, you know, meet our needs or help us with their finances or heal us when we have the sniffles. But raising the dead, that, that's a whole nother level. Not many people have faith for that. So they said, you know what? She's dead. You know, your miracle's impossible. The second layer of resistance was, why bother the teacher? And that was this sense where they were trying to make him feel like his crisis was a nuisance to God. Your crisis, your situation, your, your overwhelming circumstance is never an issue to God. You're not a nuisance to Jesus this morning. We sang it this morning. He loves us, amen. Oh, how he loves us. Do we believe that? Man, if you love somebody when they're in trouble, you're right there to help them. Come on, anybody ever have friends, seen pictures, read stories, had anybody loyal in your life? Anybody? Well, you know, when you're in trouble, those that really are your friends and are loyal to you, they rally around you. Jesus won't turn his back on you in your crisis. You are not a nuisance to God. Why bother the teacher? The last layer we touched in part two was it's logical at this point to just give up your faith. You know, don't bother the teacher. She's dead. Just let it go. Just let go of your faith. Jesus immediately picked up on that and said, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. You say, when is the right time to give up your faith? Never. I'm going to live in faith. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to hold on to my faith until I fall into the arms of Jesus. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to try and explain it away. Come on, second service. Don't quit on yourself. Don't quit on your miracle. Don't quit on God. Have faith. Don't be afraid. Only believe. So... The fourth layer of resistance we're seeing here in the, uh, verses 37 through 43, and this last layer of resistance has everything to do with taking control of the spiritual atmosphere by managing the people around you. Your spiritual atmosphere is either conducive to a miracle or it's going to diminish your faith. You and I have to manage the spiritual atmosphere around us by managing the people we allow around us in any circumstance. Now, whether we know it or not, the people around us have a lot of effect on us. And some of us can say, yeah, when I'm with this group of people, man, I'm, you know, I'm a little out of control. But when I'm with this group of people, I want more of God. When I'm with my church family, you know, uh, I, I just want to dig into Jesus and I want to grow and I, wanna, I want more of the anointing. Sometimes at the Thanksgiving table, I want to commit felonies. Come on, right, with your, with your family. So it's the time. It's the type of people that we surround ourselves with, amen? And, you know, and, and we try and tell our young people this, you know, be careful of the friends you pick. And it's so true. Sometimes we don't figure it out to too late. But this 
fourth layer has everything to do with having the right spiritual atmosphere around us by managing the people we allow around us. Now, taking control of our spiritual atmosphere by properly managing the people around us means recognizing three lies. And there are three lies in the, in the last section of this miracle here. The first one is this. Everyone should have access to you all the time. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write these down. If you just get the highlights here, because you and I need to know this truth. And it's a lie that says everyone should have access to you all the time. Now, verse 37 shows us that Jesus didn't buy into that. And here's why. It says, and he permitted, say permitted, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So here's Jesus, and what is he doing? He's walking into a miracle. He's getting closer to the girl. There's resistance. So what does he do? He pairs down the people around him, and he just takes his inner circle in with him. He's managing the multitude around him. There was a big crowd following him. You know, there was probably Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's see what he's going to do now, if we can find some fault with it. And what does he do? He strips it down. He takes just the three disciples, the ones that will see him in the transfiguration, the ones that he's preparing for leadership in the early church. You say, why did he pick those three? Well, we don't exactly know. I mean, Peter had a lot of social issues. I mean, if Peter was t- had his foot in his mouth, the only time he took his foot out of his mouth to change feet. Peter was always blurting things out. He's the one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan right? Yet he takes Peter with him. So we don't know exactly why, except we see the role of these men in the early church as pillars and and as disciples, but he pairs down his inner circle. He manages the people around him. Uh, And and the truth is we need to surround ourselves with the right people at the right time to minimize the resistance we face in life. Many times we have resistance, we have trouble, we have drama in our lives because we've surrounded ourselves with people who allow the resistance to come. And we gotta understand this. Uh, It says here that Jesus did not permit all the disciples to go with him. He he didn't permit them. Now, uh, it's almost always the things that we permit that become our undoing. Why am I in trouble? How did I get in this situation? I permitted it. How, how did I get my life into, into such a mess? I permitted it. See, a lot of times you want to say, God, where were you in this? And God's like, I, I was red flagging you the whole time. You weren't listening. Or we say, man, then look what the devil did. And the devil's going. He's like, I'll take credit for it, but I, you know, I was somewhere else. It's what we permitted to happen because of who we permitted to be in our lives. Jesus pairs down his inner circle. He doesn't permit them to go in. He doesn't permit them to diminish the atmosphere of faith around Jairus. Now, you say, how do you think those other nine disciples felt, uh, you know, when Jesus said, all right, you, you guys stay here? You know, think about if that was you. Man, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of us, what? We got to go to Taco Bell and just hang out? How do you think they would have felt? A little slighted, maybe a little hurt. You know, Judas was complaining. He was like, man, I want to go in there. There might have been loose change I could have stole, you know. And I want you to understand that sometimes managing the people around you is going to offend some people. And Jesus didn't let that bother him. 
He didn't do it mean-spirited. He, he had a reason. They needed to trust him. But he needed certain people around him in this crisis. The other people might have got offended, and they might have got hurt, and they might have been indignant. You know, Judas was already stirring up in his heart. This might have just been another nail in the coffin for Judas here. But Jesus doesn't let that bother him. And we need to not let it bother us too. We need to do things in love, but we need to be firm. We need to be careful what we permit and who we permit around us in certain situations. If we don't take control of the spiritual atmosphere, it may cost us a miracle. Now, Jesus only takes the three of his inner circle with him, and that makes some points here. And the first point is this. In crisis, we don't need crowds. Oh, well, I got to get everybody involved, everybody who wants to be there, let everybody know what's going on, you know. Uh, no, Jesus didn't really even like crowds, amen. If you notice, he was constantly withdrawing himself from the multitude. Why? Because the multitude was just there for the show. They really didn't care about spiritual truth or growth. They just, you know, they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. He was never impressed with crowds, and he didn't desire crowds. And in crisis, you and I don't need crowds, and we need to understand that. We don't need an audience all the time, amen? A lot of that is built out of insecurity. Oh, I want everybody, you know, I got to post my business on Facebook so everybody can chime in. And I just cringe, and I'm like, ah, oh, the foolishness of that. We don't need crowds. We don't need an audience. You know what else we don't need? We don't need to take second guessers in with us when we're in crisis, you know those people that always got to second-guess your leadership or second-guess what you want to do or second-guess what you heard from the Lord? There's times, look, when I've heard from the Lord and he's spoken to me and he's told me to do something, I love everybody, but I don't need anybody else's opinion but his. If I've heard from the Lord, I'm going to execute what he's told me to do. He's never led me, not one time has, have I been sorry that I did the, the will of God for my life. And everybody else had opinion, but you know those second guessers, there's certain people that, you know, they always got to second guess what you're doing. Man, if that's your marriage, you guys need to get together and, and have communion together and learn to support one another, amen? I know as a man, my wife never second guesses me. She comes alongside of me, we pray together, we hear from God together, but she doesn't undercut my leadership or anything I do. Not in almost 30 years of marriage, you poor girl. So we don't need crowds, we don't need an audience, we don't need second-guessers, second and you know what else we don't need to bring into crisis with us? Critics. Those people who are negative all the time. They're the dream killers. They're the faith killers. They, they want to explain why you can't and how it's impossible. You know, don't bring your critics into crisis with you. It's not noble. Well, you know, I'm just an open book, and I'm just, you know, I have no pride, and I'm just going to bring all the people around me to attack my faith in crisis not spiritual, foolish. There are people that we know, you know, when we're in crisis, we don't need them criticizing us, second-guessing us. What we do need are people around us who have the word of the Lord for us, who are going to stimulate our faith, who are going to pray and encourage us. Amen. And that's what Jesus put a small circle around himself of people who would encourage and create that atmosphere of faith that Jarius needed to see this miracle come to pass. So there was a young boy many years ago who was having a crisis in his faith involving worship in the church. 
He complained to his father that most of the hymns in the church were boring and they were far behind the times. They were tiresome tunes and the words were meaningless. His father challenged him and said, son, if you think you can write better hymns, then why don't you go write some? The boy went into his room and the first hymn that he wrote was, when I survey the wondrous cross. The year was 1690, and the boy was Isaac Watts. He went on to write almost 350 hymns, including Joy to the World. It's amazing what we can do when we have the right people around us to just encourage us to allow our gifts to produce in the kingdom of God. Amen. If his father was religious, he would have said, who do you think you are? And these are our traditional hymns, and you're full of the devil, and, you know, why don't you? No, he challenged the boy to unlock his spiritual gifts, and because of that good counsel, hundreds of years later, we're blessed with those hymns and still sing them. You see, you and I need to surround ourselves with the right people on purpose. Stop giving wrong people access to you in your most critical moments. They will short-circuit your miracle. Don't permit it. Take charge of the people around you. Not everyone needs to have access to you in your moment of crisis. Line number two, everyone's opinion must be considered. Now, first service laughed at that. I guess they were, they know about opinions. The lie is that it's arrogant or unloving not to consider everyone's opinions or beliefs. Verse 38 through 40, it says this, then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. So what does Jesus walk into? An emotional, you know, just a a crazy situation here. It's out of control. It's overwhelming to the senses. The people are weeping, they're wailing. You know, professional mourners, it's just, we're gonna talk about, you know, uh, what the purpose of that tumult was and the weeping and wailing. It says in verse 39, when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, or they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. Okay, so let's take a look at this here. Everyone's opinion must be considered. If you don't consider someone's opinion or, or, or someone's you know, belief system, then you're being arrogant and unloving. Most of us don't want to confront those who challenge our faith because we're afraid of offending them. The, fir- the best solution I've heard to... Uh, this whole idea of offending people was this. Someone said, well, I'm offended. And the other person said, so what? Let me say it again for the slow people. Here, look. Well, I'm offended. Well, so what? Well, you know, you say Jesus is the only way. I'm offended. So what? You say God still heals the sick and does miracles. I don't believe that. So what? Now, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I'm saying, if I choose to stand on the word of God and believe the word of God, and you, I'm not forcing you, but this is what I believe, and if that offends you, so what? You know, just by the lack of feedback I'm getting here means it, a lot of you have bowed to this whole idea. You're afraid to say amen in church. Maybe they'll cancel you. 
You know, the reason that this movement of cancel culture has gotten so much traction to where if you're a Christian baker, you got to bake cakes for this group, and if you don't, we're going to put you... The reason it's gotten so much traction is because we're so quiet right now. We need to get a little bit of a, a spiritual chutzpah, hey, some Jewish going on here, and just get a little bit of a backbone and say, look, I love you, but so what? You know, this is what I believe. And, and you know what? <laughs> yeah, you're going to send some people scrambling for the corners in the coloring books. Praise God. But so what? The church has never gotten anywhere by being timid and bashful about the things of God and bowing down to this idol of, you know, you can't say this and you got to say that and you got to think this and you got to be lockstep or we'll cancel you. You'll never cancel the church of Jesus Christ. You will never cancel it. It will prevail against the gates of hell. You will never cancel the word of God. You will never cancel preachers that preach the truth. We don't need buildings. We don't need pulpits. We don't need any of that. We just need this and the anointing. Well, I might offend somebody. Man, if you haven't offended at least six people in one day, you ain't even trying. I'm not saying go out there and make trouble. Praise God. Go out and make trouble. No, I'm saying just do what you do. Let the church be the church. And if some people are offended, pray for them. Amen? But we're not going to stop. And everyone's opinion must be considered. I don't want to offend anyone. You know what? Think about these people. This large crowd was offering resistance to Jesus and to Jairus. Why? Because they, they were loud, they, they, they had loud opinions, and they had their own conclusions based on their observations. What? They, they might have looked at the girl, they heard the news, somebody went in and shook her, nothing. She's dead. Okay, she's dead. Let's weep and wail and mourn. And I want you to understand something here. The observations of the spiritually blind are based on sensuality. They're based on the senses. Why? Because they have no spiritual discernment. Don't, don't get your conclusions from those who are spiritually blind. They're based on sensuality. Well, it looks like this to me, or it feels like this to me, or it sounds like this to me. We don't go by looks. We don't go by feelings. We don't go by sound. We walk by faith and not by sight. We go by the word of God. <laughs> Come on. Faith is like going out on the limb and sawing the limb off and the tree falls down. Come on. That's faith. Was it a little too fast for some of you? Let me say it again. Faith is going out on the limb, sawing the limb off, and the tree falls down. That's faith, amen. It don't make sense. Well, we need science. I, look, I love science. Science proves the word of God. The word of God is way ahead of science. Science is catching up. To the word of God. I've never had an issue with science. I've had an issue with fake agendas and fake science that people use to make other people think their way. Otherwise, you know, you're not, you're, you're foolish or you're not scientific. <laughs> God's the author and the creator of the universe. He stretched it out like a garment. He made every part of it. He put the planets in geosynchronous orbit. He's got the solar system perfectly tweaked so that if we were a little closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were a little farther away, we'd freeze. Don't you understand? God is the God of science. For too long, science has been used to shut up the church. The opinion of the scientific crowd says we're archaic and foolish and we don't have any of this and we don't have any of that. Are we going to let that opinion shut us down? 
push us into obscurity. Well, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. That's not faith. What does Jesus do? He doesn't listen to what they say. He doesn't consider their opinions. He doesn't have a 20-minute discussion with each of them to, you know, try and, oh, well, that's a valid point. You know, what does he do? He confronts them and he disperses them. And we need to do the same. Did that offend some of them? Probably it did. Did Jesus let that bother him? Not at all. And we shouldn't let it bother us either. He confronts them. What does he do in verse 39? He cuts right through their emotionalism and presents them with the truth. And I want you to see this here. There's, God has given us emotions. We can express our emotions. We can express them in church. But emotionalism is dangerous because emotionalism can be hijacked by the flesh and it, it could be not of the spirit, Amen. Sometimes people who are overly emotional are just trying to draw attention to themselves. And that's what these people out front who were weeping and wailing and carrying on, you know they had professional mourners in those days that if you were really a bum and nobody liked you, they could hire a group of people to cry for you at your funeral. Right? Professional mourners. Overly emotional. Oh, he was such a great guy. What was his name? Jesus shuts down their emotionalism. He shuts down their show. You know, they're, they're, they're attracting attention to themselves. And you know, this speaks to self-promotion. One of the things we need to understand about the kingdom of God is we are not to be self-promoters. Amen? You know, oh, well, I want to build this and build my ministry and promote this and write a book and do it. We're not to promote ourselves. I found that a long time ago. You say, Pastor, why don't you do this? Or why don't you go on TV? Or why don't you go on radio? Or why don't you write a book? Because God never told me to do that. And understand something. If we promote ourselves, then we have to sustain ourselves. So I would rather let God promote Full Gospel Center and bring the people who need to be here, amen, and not worry about the opinions of the world and let God build the church. So he cuts through their emotionalism and he brings them truth. Stop with all the crying. Stop bringing attention to yourself. Stop and hear the truth. The girl is not dead. Verse 40 shows us how they respond to Jesus' truth and rejection of emotionalism. They ridicule him and they laugh at him. Could you imagine laughing at Jesus? I mean, that's going to, you know, within minutes he's going to heal this girl. She's going to be walking around. Nobody's going to be laughing after that. There's going to be a whole lot of people that look pretty stupid in a few minutes. You know what? There's a lot of people laughing now that are going to look stupid for eternity. There's a lot of people laughing at the church and laughing at those who believe in Scripture. There's a lot of people laughing at Israel right now. There's a lot of people laughing at those who believe in the end times as laid out in the book of Revelation here. They think we're foolish and they're laughing now, but one minute into eternity, it won't be funny anymore. So they're laughing at me, Pastor. Let them laugh. So they're ridiculing, they're scoffing, they're mocking. Let them scoff. Payday's not always on Friday, but payday comes. Pray for them. Jesus doesn't let it bother him. He just lets it roll off. He, he, he ignores it, and he, then he disperses them. I love that. He, he disarms their ridicule by, by just ignoring it. 
Now, you and I need to learn to marginalize our critics and not let their wrong words and judgments affect us, but bounce off us. Why? Because we have to protect the faith that that's trying to destroy. All of this was to design to get Jarius to say, forget it, it's over, uh, I'm done. Uh, you can go, Jesus. But you and I need to learn to deal with our critics and let those wrong words bounce off us. You say, how is that even possible to let people's judgments and people's opinions and, and all the harsh words bounce right off us? Well, we need to get a thicker skin. Say amen. You and I need a thicker skin. Oh, well, I just wear my heart on my sleeve. Stop it. Why are you doing that? That's foolish. Well, I'm just an open book in front of everybody. Stop it. That's not smart. Oh, it's quiet now. Author Chris Warren in his book, Running with the Rhinos, brings out the point that rhinos have some of the thickest skin in nature. It protects them from all external wounds that would threaten their vitals. Their skin is so thick, it can hardly be penetrated. What's being, what being thick skin means for the Christian is that we can take more pressure, more ridicule, more proverbial hits than the average person because our skin is thick. Most of the time, a thick skin serves to protect a soft heart. I want to encourage you today, keep your heart soft, but let your skin get thick. Keep your heart tender before the Lord, but let your skin be thick to the ridicule and the criticism. Don't wear your heart on your sleeve. Don't be an open book before all men. Don't let people see the, the, in, in the insides that only Jesus should see. Thicken up your skin today. So when my skin is thick, I can keep my heart tender. I can keep the atmosphere correct for a miracle so that God can move in my situation. Jesus disarms their ridicule by just letting it roll off, and then he disperses them. I love this, you know? I don't know how he got them out of there. I don't know if he shooed them away with a broom. I don't know if he started to make a whip out of cords, and they go, oh, oh we remember this. No, I don't know what he did, but he dispersed the crowd. I remember one time when we were walking down the street in Manhattan and we were in front of like a Chinese restaurant and the old man came out with a broom and shushed it away. Like, what the heck is this? I just looked at him. He's like, this thing is ridiculous. Didn't want us in front of a store. Jesus had a way of dispersing the crowds. You say, how did he do it? With conviction, with courage, and with spiritual authority. Use your spiritual authority silence your critics, to take the high road, to ignore the, the tendency to want to defend yourself and fight back against every opinion and accusation. That's a fool's game, amen? Some people just say stuff and you just look at them, smile at them, pray for them. Smile and wave, boy. <laughs> Line number two is everyone's opinion must be considered. Nothing could be further from the truth. Hear the word of the Lord, consider what he says, and do it, regardless of who's laughing, who's ridiculing, or who's resisting. Disperse the crowd. Learn to deal with your critics and disarm them by ignoring their opinions. Lie number three, everyone should be allowed to see your miracle. Verse 41 through 43 is the conclusion here. The miracle part of this is real quick. It's real easy. It's, so, it's nothing for Jesus for what he does here. But listen, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. So basically he just tells her to get up. 
immediately, uh, immediately the girl rose and walked. She was 12 years old, and they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. So uh, the miracle part of this is kind of quick, but a few things happen here. And realize that after all of this journey, after all of this resistance, four layers of it coming at him, three lies that he had to deal with, protecting the atmosphere of faith over Jairus' life. After all of that work, he only takes five people in to see the miracle. The mother, the father, and his three companions. And you might think, you know, verse 40 is saying that, that that small group of five people were the only ones that were allowed inside. You know, some people would go, Jesus, you're missing a big opportunity to promote your ministry here. Remember what I said about self-promoters? Jesus wasn't one of them. He didn't want the crowds. He didn't want the multitude. He he didn't create a show or a spectacle. He was about connecting intimately with people and building faith that lasts. Everyone didn't get to see the miracle here. And you might think, you know, well, you know, if if some some Christian person, you know, raised someone from the dead, well, they call the local news and the radio station and be on Christian TV and have a press release and write a book and sign copies. And, you know, and all of that is why God doesn't do miracles like we hoped he would. Because the body of Christ promotes itself and promotes personalities instead of promoting God. Some of us need to chew on that for a little bit. God's just looking for some nobodies that he can use. He doesn't need any more celebrities. Matthew 7, 6 tells us to be selective about who we cast our pearls before. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Least they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus was very selective about who he let see the miracle. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of miracles that happen in our lives that only, you know, it's between us and God. I think of the miracles that happened in my life as a young man coming to Christ. I think of the time where I first realized I was lost and needed a savior. I was all alone. The sun was shining. I was in the woods and and God, you know, I was by some water and, and God began to speak to me and some things clicked in my heart and it was after the sun got brighter and I just had this moment where I knew I was lost and I needed Jesus. The light went on. It was a miracle. I was all alone. I think of the time where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was praying. I was reading the word. I was all alone. And the Holy Ghost fell on me. I began to speak in other tongues. I was all alone. There was no altar. There was no one laying hands on me. There was no one shaking me to try and get the devil out and the Holy Ghost in. Charismaniacs. A lot of the miracles we experience are between us and Jesus. Times in prayer on my knees when there's breakthroughs in the spiritual realm where things that I struggled with for decades were broken and things were never the same. The miracles between us and them. We we don't need the crowds. We don't need the audience. Jesus didn't either. Don't give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine. Some people are not going to approve. Some are not going to understand. Some are going to try and talk you out of it. Be very selective. Jesus was. He only let five people in. The text flat out tells, he flat out says in verse 43, he's like, don't tell anybody what just happened here. Keep a lid on it. You know, every time Jesus does the stuff like that, I'm just like, come on, Jesus, that's not going to work. You know, he's telling them, look, he, he gives them strict orders uh, here that, you know what, uh, 
but he commanded them strictly that no one should know of it. How is that even possible at this point? You, you got a crowd of people that have been following you. You just, you, you know, Jarius made a big spectacle of himself. You had all these mourners outside the door. He chased them away, but you know they're hiding in the bushes looking at what's going on. And Jesus says, what? Don't tell anybody. Why? Because he wasn't a self-promoter. He wasn't out to draw crowds. He didn't want to entertain the multitude. This miracle was between the mother, the father, and the, the, the disciples there, and they see it, and it was only for them. You know, sometimes I think it's just those who have skin in the game and sincere faith that see the miracles of God. Well, why did the mother and father? Because they had skin in the game. That was their daughter there. Everybody else, their motives were questionable. What were they doing there? And they were allowed in, and they saw the miracle. But not everybody gets to see your miracle, and that's okay. Thinking that you have to let everybody in and open everything up and just you know, bring it all up to scrutiny and let other people say they believe, they don't believe, get everybody's opinion on it, it's just not smart. It just doesn't create the right atmosphere for miracles. It just doesn't allow you know, us to manage the people around us so that we could see God move in our life. Stop giving wrong people access to your life. Stop thinking that you have to consider everyone's opinion or you're arrogant or you're proud. Stop thinking that everyone should have access to you all the time. You and I are servants of God. What he says and what he thinks and what he tells us to do is our only concern. Are some people going to be offended? Yeah. So what? Amen, Edgar. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for this miracle. I thank you for all the lessons we learn about resistance. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are in the fray right now or they need a miracle, maybe in their relationships or in their, uh, in their businesses, in their finances, with their children. Father, I pray that they would manage the people around them and push out the critics and the second guessers and the negative people and the people who are not spiritual, but they would surround themselves with the right people that would create the right atmosphere so they can see you do miracles in their lives. Father, I pray for every one of us today that are bombarded with the opinions of the world and the opinions of others. Lord, I pray that we would hear the word of the Lord and execute it without concern for anything else. Father, and I pray today, Lord God, that where we need miracles, we would protect our faith by managing the crowds around us and stop giving wrong people access to us in crisis. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise. Amen.